Hello, baby. Want a kiss? Welcome to the Experimental Film Podcast with your host, Ken Hess. Teaching a parakeet to talk is fun, but the old method took too much time and patience. This record is specially designed to teach any healthy, normal parakeet to talk by using a scientific new method that is acknowledged to be far superior because a carefully trained voice, specially chosen for excellence in clarity and diction, repeats over and 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 over the same words, the same phrase, in a manner that most parakeets are most likely to imitate. Check experimentalfilm.info for information, interviews, and episodes. For the next few seconds, this record will be silent. This podcast is dedicated exclusively to experimental film and its makers. Welcome, everyone, to Season 3, Episode 1 of the Experimental Film Podcast. Today's guest is Fabrizio Federico. Fabrizio is a UK-based experimental filmmaker who has some unique perspectives on filmmaking. Let's find out what those are. Fabrizio, welcome to the Experimental Film Podcast. Great to be here, Ken. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Uh, so take a few minutes and tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and your work. Oh, well, I got into making films um, after I left America. So once I got back to the UK, um, I just uh, I remember watching all these experimental films when I was really young in my teenage years. Um, things like The Last Movie by Dennis Hopper. That was the one that really made me want to get out there and start making films on, on low budgets. Uh, most of my films barely cost anything. You know, I could make a film for like $50 in a day. And I've done that before. I've made feature films in a day on like children's uh, cameras and, you know, CCTV cameras and things like that. So that's what I find so exciting about experimental cinema is there's no rules. You can just go out there, make something really quickly, even without a script. I never use scripts either. I just, I'll go on the streets and I'll find someone that I think looks really interesting. And I'll be like, yeah, you want to be in a movie? Just get them really excited. And I'll literally, you know, have all their life come out on screen. I'm really good at getting people to open up about their lives and using it into a, into a movie or a scene. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of take it from there. I mean, uh, God, I've, I've got so many films that have inspired me over the years. Have you ever seen uh, the great rock and roll swindle about the sex pistols? Uh, you know, it's been a while since I've seen it, but yeah, I saw it a long time ago. I used to watch a lot of um, those music-oriented films, like The Song Remains the Same, you know, about Led Zeppelin, and I saw um, uh, a Doors movie. So yeah, I used to really be into those uh, rockumentaries, I guess they are. Oh, I, I love those. Um, I find those more entertaining than like feature films these days, actually. Uh, what, the last film we actually shot you remember that bit in The Song Remains the Same with Jimmy Page where he, he, he climbs to the top of the mountain and he's doing like a Alistair Crowley spell uh, we actually filmed a movie called The Confessions of Alistair Crowley at the house where oh, Jimmy wow. Page used to live yeah oh it's fantastic it's really surreal being in that uh, garden because you just look and that's the you know that's like the cliff that Jimmy Page climbed up and, uh, yeah, there's some um, bad vibes in that house still, even though it burnt down a few years back because kids went up there and, you know, they draw pentagrams on the floor and do spells and things like that. And I guess in one night, you know, someone had an accident with, like, some alcohol and the whole house went up in flames, unfortunately. But it's got a very, very strong power still, especially if you're there at night. <laughs> it's uh, spooky being there at night time. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I used to really be into that sort of thing. I was really into uh, 
stories about Aleister Crowley and uh, mm. how one night he, I can't remember, I think he steps out. I mean, not everyone will know what this is, but he stepped outside the circle a little bit or broke the circle somehow. And apparently some demon almost killed him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. It's uh, the Abra Mellon spell. He couldn't finish it because it was like a six month spell and he couldn't leave the house and he just couldn't do it anymore. The, you know, the spirits just got too much for him and he had to step outside and just run away from the house, basically. Uh, mm. But um, yeah, a lot of people in the area, because it's right near Loch, Loch Ness, the, you know, Loch Ness monsters right there. And mm. people would not uh, talk about that house. You know, there's still a big stigma about it all the locals and they, they wouldn't be on on film talking about it either so um yeah it's i love things like that uh i've met uh, wizards before and you know like people that do voodoo because I, I think kenneth anger was into stuff like that wasn't it oh yeah i believe so yeah 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 that's interesting uh, uh, so yeah, uh, i'm sorry go ahead let's say uh, a lot of uh, when cinema first came out a lot of people were really scared of it you know, they, they saw it as like losing your soul and nobody wanted to go near it. It's like alchemy in a way, isn't it? Uh, being on screen and you last forever. It's like you become eternal if you're in a movie. And uh, yeah, people are very scared of it. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. I And, you know, I think the Native Americans used to think that um, when someone took their photograph or painted a, a portrait of them, that it stole their soul. And so, you know, they uh, sometimes would, uh, you know, harm the person because <laughs> they thought yeah. it stole their soul. So, you know, it was, it was kind of interesting what people believe about uh, photography and uh, painting and, and now films. But um, mm-hmm. I, I want to ask you, how would you classify your work? Now, to me, it seems sort of like the so-called French new wave, you know, like you said, you don't have a script or anything. You just go out and do it. How would you classify your work? Um, yeah, I've, I've kind of. I'm a bit of a collectivist, and I, I, I take from all these. I know all about different um, film, uh, you know, film waves that's happened and film movements, and I've just collected, you know, French New Wave, uh, British New Wave, a lot of the stuff that came out of Greece, like um, Attenberg and things like that, and uh, Dogma '95, and I just put it all together and I made my own uh, manifesto called uh, Pink 8 and which turned into a bit of a film movement itself called Misrule Cinema so that was really popular in England and some people in Mexico made films because I had my own uh, film festival at one stage called Straight Jacket so all these people would be inspired by the the manifesto and then they'd send their own Misrule films to us and we used to just screen them on on YouTube so yeah um, very improvisational experimental uh, very non-linear, non-narrative. Um, almost, almost not document. It's almost like feature documentaries in a way because they're not exactly a documentary because you know there's an idea. I'd, I'd take a, a topic. So one film would be about money, another film would be about sex, another film would be about schizophrenia, and I'd get all these people who I thought would kind of like be able to navigate through that theme. And uh, a film would come out of it magically. So the film would always make itself. That's what was so great. Anybody could do it. You know, why why waste your time on making shorts? You could actually make a feature doing this type of thing. Uh, so, and I'd use loads of. I, I actually uh, call it pick a mix, where I'd I'd do like montage, very speed, jump cuts. Uh, I'd even use like subliminal messages. So like a lot of rock bands used to do that. I'd do that in the film. So I'd. I'd take like a Charles Manson or like a Jim Jones quote and I'd 
um, reverse it and I'd put it throughout the film, you know, do little little tricks like that on people. So, yeah, it's just, um, I don't know, absurdism almost. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm into is absurdism. A lot of people have classified my films as that. But um, go into a little bit more depth about the Pink 8 Manifesto. I think that's how we connected in the first place is I saw something of yours in a Facebook post and you had something about the Pink 8 Manifesto and I went and read it and was like, this is really cool. I, I want to know more about it. So if you could elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah. Um, at one point, um, I, everyone kept telling me, oh, to learn film, you have to take a course. You have to take a course. So I enlisted in in like a quick, you know, week course. And I just remember the, the lecturer constantly saying, you know, you have to do this, you have to do that, just giving me all these rules all the time and saying like, oh, you, you know, you, you can't make a, a feature film for less than a hundred grand, you know, like saying all these types of things. So my attitude was like, well, f- you, you know, I could, I could do whatever I want. There's no, there's no rules in cinema. It's, it's not a very old uh, art form if you think about it. So uh, technically there aren't any rules. There's certain rules if you want to get it onto television or, you know, connect with a mainstream audience. But, you know, I, I wanted something that was, you know, brand new. So I figured I'd take my whole philosophy and like condense it. So the first rule, my first rule was, you know, film school is poison. Don't worry about going to film school you know if you can if you can press play on a camera you can make a movie so and from there i took it uh, one step further you know don't show the the cast the script you know don't uh, don't even have a cast of professionals just pick random people i can't, i'm not read it for a while so i can't remember the rest of the rules but though they they were like the main you know they distilled the main message really you know it's just, you know, don't bother making a script. Don't bother. The film can make itself. As long as you've got a theme and a topic, the movie will get made, you know. And if you're passionate enough about that theme, you know, just let it let it make itself. I think Andy Warhol said, Andy Warhol, his early films were like that. You know, it's just press play, let the cast do what they want, and you've got a film, really. Yeah, that's true. I, I like that a lot. It's, it's kind of, um, I can't remember the name of the, the movement, but... Um, Anyway, with the Pink 8 Manifesto, were you trying to start a new film movement or did you actually start a new film movement with this? Oh, yeah, I wanted to because I'd not heard of a new film movement for a while. You know, everyone kept going about dogma this, dogma that. Pink 8 is way more hardcore than dogma. So I just I wanted to take it as cinema a step further. So I made a film uh, manifesto. Then I just advertised it, you know, I'd... Uh, make leaflets and go to universities and just pass them out i'd go to concerts and i'd put my movies i'd put you know this is when when i made my first film was 2011 so i'd literally just make all these dvds and just put them on tables at uh, you know bars and concerts and things like that so i just and uh yeah i'd put a little note saying uh, uh, don't worry about you know you upload it onto youtube or vimeo or whatever i don't care uh, i didn't want to make money off the films i just wanted to spread the message you know and create a new generation gap in cinema and it caught on you know i ended up doing like interviews in sight and sound and uh, film international and it just kind of blew up and that's what i'm really proud of you know that's being able to inspire like a whole new generation of filmmakers to go out there and i mean um, now it's tiktok tiktok is kind of like the same thing that i was doing really you know just having all these little flashes of video coming at you like so if you watch one of my films especially the first one black biscuit 
it's just film coming in all directions at you, all different types of like, you know, I wouldn't use one camera. I'd use like about 50 cameras just to have different looks. And, you know, you have audio coming out, all this like electronic audio and sound, uh, the soundtrack could be really, it'd be added like sitars and rock music and classical and rap. And it'd have all these different like types of music in as well. Um, have you ever seen the film Bad Timing by Nicholas Rogue? I have not, no. Oh, you should watch it. I'll send you a link at some point. It's a fantastic film, uh, but it's kind of like that. So there'd be like so many different styles of music and there'd be jump courts and, uh, you know, one minute you'd, it'd be the future, next minute it'd be the past, and you, you just wouldn't know where you are. You had to be spinning by the end of the movie, and that's kind of the effect that I wanted. And, um, yeah, I just basically took it from there. Yeah, let's talk about Black Biscuit for a minute. Um, it has some interesting backstory to it. Could you tell us about that? I'd, oh, I'd, I'd right laugh making that film. Uh, for anyone out there who's not made a feature film, your first feature film, your head would be spinning. Honestly, there's so many crazy things that happened to you. Uh, the, the, the most nuts thing that ever happened was we had this uh, guy who literally just got out of jail for killing someone. And uh, I didn't know this when I met him because I met him on the street. And uh, I was like, oh, do you want to be in a film? You know, da, 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 da. And then the next day he didn't show up. So I was like, oh, fair enough, you know, easy come, easy go. Then uh, one day he knocked, came knocked on my door early in the morning and he was there. And he's like, oh, when am I going to shoot? I'm like, oh, shoot, you missed it, you know, yesterday. And he just kept showing up. And sometimes I'd notice him following me. And then other times he'd show up when we were filming, even though I'd never given him uh, the address. So, you know, so he was, he was stalking me for a bit. Uh, in the end, he never even appeared in the film, thank God, because I, I just had a bad vibe about him. Uh, yeah, he, little things like that. And, uh, you know, even just to like to raise the money, you know, I was like donating blood and I was doing life modeling. So like nude life modeling for art classes, things like that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I spent about a year filming it because, um you know, you just, I wasn't filming every day like most uh, film projects. So it was just whenever we got inspiration or I came across someone who wanted to be in the film that I thought, you know, fit the theme. So it just went on and on. And then I spent about a year, I just did loads of, loads of little experiments as well. So when I'm editing, I'd take LSD and I'd edit while I was stoned on LSD, just, to, you know, just to see where the narrative took me. And God, I don't know if you ever took that stuff, but editing, you it just blows your mind because there's no rules whatsoever and you're just experimenting non-stop and and i'd uh edit blindfolded as well and i put myself on this really weird diet of um what was it yogurts and marijuana so i was just living on that for a while just uh that was my diet for a bit so i kind of went off the rails a bit but i'm glad i did it you, you have to push yourself when you're making movies that's very true that's really funny i like that a lot it's uh kind of um kind of really 1960s avant-garde type uh, filmmaking, you know, especially the, uh, you know, the enhanced uh, realities, I guess you get from LSD and, and so on. Um, so, you know, aside from that, you've dealt with quite a bit of controversy because of your films, um, especially one called Milkman and that whole experience. Could you tell us about that? Oh God, that was a mess. That was so. Uh, the theme was uh, was um, of a milkman who was. Uh, so I got into reading about the 1960s and the Kool Aid acid trips and things like that that 
man, and the Grateful Dead used to do it as well, I guess, and Ken Casey and just like Jack Kerouac and all those guys. And, uh, you know, their idea was, oh, let's just spike the government. Let's just spike everybody and everybody can be stoned, you know, and uh, have this beautiful moment all together. We'd all be on the same threshold for a little bit. So my idea was to have a movie where a milkman went around and spiked people with LSD. And... Um, one day, a milk, a real milkman actually ran into us while we were filming, and uh, he happened to tell his company, and it just got further and further up. And uh, they basically put like a subpoena on me, you know, saying that you can't do this, that we're going to call the police if you actually go ahead and do this. I mean, I'm a bit. Uh, that was when I was 27 when I was wanted to make this film. So looking back on it, it wasn't one of my best ideas. Uh, so. It, the film just never got made. It just got abandoned. Uh, we shot about 40, 45% of the film. Uh, but, you know, I don't know what statute of limitations is for things like that. Because, you know, we actually did get a couple of letters uh, saying that they'd bring us to court. So it just kind of got left on the shelf, really. Uh, but what statute of limitations that runs out, I reckon I'm going to do it. I'm, I'll put it out there, even if it's just in the 45-minute uh, version. Yeah, you should. In fact, I would love to see that um, because, you know, I I don't really think someone can enforce something like that. I mean, you're you're making fiction, basically. So, you know, I, I don't know what the rules are in England, so I can't say. But I know that in the U.S. it's a little bit uh, looser, probably. You can pretty much do whatever you want. I mean, you still might get sued, but you never know. So, yeah, it's a pain in the ass over here because I don't know what it's like in America. Cause I've, I lived in Boston for a time being uh, and uh, from uh, 1995 to 2005. Then I got deported. So I don't remember seeing too many CCTV cameras. So it's a bit like Big Brother over here where they can constantly watch you and they can see where, you'd, where you're going. I've, I've been stopped before because we used to, we shoot our films on the streets, you know, without any paperwork and, you know, that I don't really bother with shit like that. And uh, we've been stopped before and they've uh, confiscated our footage off us. So we've had problems, a bit, a bit like Ed Wood. I think Ed Wood used to do things like that. But in England, it's just easier and they can keep tabs on you really easily over here and they can see what you're doing at all times. So, you know, it's not as cool as in America, especially if you want to shoot in like a city and like things like that. Uh, same, it's a bit backwards. Uh, I mean, in America, you know, you can, I think marijuana is legal in most states, isn't it? But over here, it's not, you know. In, in you a get, few, yeah. Mm, yeah, so, yeah, they're a bit backwards over here. As I said, it's a bit like 1984. They've even got a TV show called Big Brother over here, right. where they watch people 24-7. So, uh, yeah, it's a bit tricky if you want to do certain things, especially uh, film on the streets. Yeah, well, you know, maybe you should um, get a visa or something and come back over here and um, make Milkman over here, unless you just want to wait for the statute of limitations to run out. But... Um, you've also run into some controversy over your film Pregnant. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, uh, I've had problems with every film. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, we shot uh, some scenes with some um, anarchists. And um, one of the scenes was, uh, you know, I suggested, oh, wouldn't it be great to find somewhere that, you know, was on fire to like to shoot inside a house that was on fire? And uh 
they ended up setting a building on fire, which kind of got out of control. It was quite, it was a, a venue where they used to have concerts. I think the Smiths used to play there quite often. And uh, yeah, it got set on fire and you know, there was quite a lot of problems involving that. They actually both went to jail for a little while, not too long, uh, but uh, yeah, that was another nightmare. Uh, so we almost had, we had to pretend that we, we weren't even filming anything. You know, we just said it was an accident. A cigarette fell on the floor, that type of shit. You know, over here in England, uh, they have carpets everywhere. So it was 1980s carpets and you throw a cigarette on the floor, <laughs> you know, goes up really quick over there. So we just said it was that the reason. But yeah, that was the big thing. Uh, then what did we do? We filmed this in this uh, village down south uh, where there was a power plant. And it was like being in the village of the damned. Everybody in the whole village was blonde. And um, I think Derek Jarman's fam famous house was there, his famous yellow house. And we kept seeing all these little jellyfish on washing up on the beach. And because of the power plant, a lot of the jellyfish had like eight eyes. So it was a very like radioactive um, little village down south. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I, I love that about uh, when you're making a film. You just get into the, all these crazy adventures that you, you, you can't plan it. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. You have to have a really open mind when you're making movies. That's why I love talking to filmmakers. They're my people. Yeah, the when you said everybody there was blonde, I, I if I had made that association, I think I would have. Of course, when I was young, I was blonde too. But I would have gone. You know, it's just a little strange that everyone here is blonde. I think I'm going to leave now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm the opposite. I I kind of push the situation to its limit almost to see how far it goes i get i get a bit turned on by things like that so yeah i mean this alistair crowley film oh god um we were filmed we had a lot of weird things happen to us uh our passports get going missing uh or well, some of the footage just wiped itself out randomly one day and then the worst was um it was a really sunny day and we were driving up this mountain in this shitty ford that you know it wasn't prepared for like a snowstorm and out of nowhere this massive snowstorm just came out of nowhere and we're lucky we didn't go off one of the cliffs it was a miracle we actually got down but then as soon as we got down to the bottom of the uh, mountain it was like nothing ever happened there was no snow anywhere it was just up where we were filming so we had a lot of like bad luck when we were making that movie and the footage is still a bit wonky. It's still pixelated and yeah, I'm trying to make it work somehow, but it's been very difficult. We, we finished it in January, 2020 and it's still a bit, you know, it's, it's uh, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for it to get a bit better. They're working on it in America actually, because the uh, two guys who came over, you know, they're working on it right now, but uh, yeah, I love all that danger involved in movies. Yeah. It seems like you get into a bit of trouble whenever you make a movie. Do you, do you go seeking that or does it just kind of happen to you organically? Bit of both. I've had that my whole life, though. I mean, the reason we ended up, because I've lived in England, then we moved to Italy. And uh, the reason we moved to Italy was because I almost died in the fire. And uh, this is one thing that always stuck in my You know, when they have these little arguments about films not influencing children, I, I think they do influence because I was watching Godzilla. And, you know, Godzilla's all about fire, isn't it? So I watched Godzilla, and after that, I start, I was only like five years old, but I started playing with matches, and a whole house set fire. So luckily, uh, I'm, I'm alive. It's, it's a miracle I'm alive. And strange enough, the only things uh, in the house that didn't burn down was myself, who my dad rescued, so I'll always be happy about that. I owe my life. And a 
photo of my grandfather who died recently and his portrait was not damaged at all by the fire. It was very strange. So, yeah, I've got a devil and an angel on my shoulders. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, I would like for you to come over here sometime and we could make some films together. I'm not sure I want you to stay with me, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've, had a lot of pro- I've had a lot of problems getting into America because uh, my uh, one of my sisters wanted to get married there in 2019, and I tried to get a visa, and they still refused me. Oh, wow. So I don't know. They probably Googled me. <laughs> That's funny. So mm. um, who is Jet Hollywood? Oh, um, so during that period, I was really big into Ziggy Stardust and the whole idea of creating an alter ego. And it sounds like rock stars seem to have all the fun with that type of thing. I've never heard of a filmmaker inventing a character like that and inventing an alter ego filmmaker. So I decided to be the first. So I created this filmmaker called Jet Hollywood, and he was a complete alter ego. You know, Ziggy Stardust was the spiders from Mars. He was from Mars. So why not have a filmmaker from Mars? So, you know, I dressed up. I just became another person because I've acted before in a couple of my movies. So I know a bit about method acting. So I just really got into the role. So I decided to make two movies just like, Ziggy Stardust did. He made two albums and then he committed suicide. And I did the same thing, basically. I made two films. Uh, one was called uh, The Evolution of the Earth Angel. And another one was, was a documentary called, um, what's it called? Anarchy in the UK about all these insane filmmakers in the UK. So I did that. And then when it came time to committing suicide for the character, I wrote a suicide note and I just posted it online. And uh, that kind of got picked up. And then people were like, oh, no, you know, we, we have to stop this person from committing suicide. And do you know who Reggie Perrin is? Um, was it the, the TV show, Reginald Perrin? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. So he just, he pretends he's dead and he just disappears. Yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah. And I wanted the character to do that. So I did that for real. And I just created this character, Jet Hollywood, and... You know, I, I had a lot of fun with it. You know, it was, it was great being somebody else. I, I, I literally stayed like that for two years. I method acted a director for two years. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I swear all this this type of stuff I'm doing is, is giving me brain damage throughout the years. You can ask my girlfriend, actually. <laughs> I'm oh. sure she'll agree with that. You know, the funny thing about Reginald Perrin, is I used to watch all those British comedies when mm. I was younger, and Reginald Perrin was really great because years later I revisited that series, and he had a, a company that he invented. I can't even remember what they did now. It was called Grotz or something like that. Yeah. And he hired a bunch of people who had no experience with with anything related to what he was trying to do. I, I don't know if he was trying to make this thing fail, but they made it exceed – I mean – or succeed exceedingly, which was crazy because, you know, they really worked hard and tried to make it work and tried to um, compensate for their shortcomings. And it was, it was unbelievably successful. And he, he kind of went a little bit nuts because of it. And cause I don't think he wanted it to work, but that, that was really fun because I, I really, <laughs> I really liked uh, Reginald Perrin and uh, Benny Hill and all those guys. Right, so I'm actually really impressed that you know who Reginald Perrin is. Oh, yeah. I didn't think you, yeah, yeah, I didn't think you'd know him, but yeah, I, I just love it. He walks into the sea and just pretends yeah. that he's killed himself. Yeah. Uh, 
the Manic Street Preachers guitarist did that, and to this day, people still don't know if he's dead or alive. Uh, Richie James just disappeared. Great lyricist as well. So, yeah, they found his uh, his car at like a suicide spot in Wales, and yeah, they've never seen him since. Never found any body or anything. Wow. But he talked about doing things like that. Same with Jim Morrison. Jim Morrison used to drop little clues about that, saying about running to Africa. What was that uh, film that, you know, earlier you said something about a Doors movie. Are you talking about the, the, the music documentary that day yeah, they made? Yeah. It's when, was you it, know, I remember one of the scenes in it, he was standing on stage and he was going, Hey, Mr. Lightman, turn down the lights. He kept trying for like five minutes before he did this song. He kept trying to get the, the light man to turn down the lights. <laughs> the guy never did it. Yeah. Uh, that's a, a feast of friends. I love that film. They yeah. they re-released it after like forty years, and um, yeah, that's that's an incredible movie because Jim Morrison was a filmmaker. Oh really? Uh, he, he, oh yeah, he actually made one experimental film called uh, Highway, and it's just spelled H W Y. You should see it. It's on YouTube. They've still not released it. Uh, like it's it's a bootleg basically. But he would have been a terrific filmmaker if he'd carried on. Uh, but yeah, he just made this one. I think it's only like thirty minutes long. And yeah, it's about him going out to the desert and he hitchhikes and he kills the person that uh, picks him up hitchhiking. And then very simple film. Then he just drives into Los Angeles, goes out on the town, and I think at the end he goes onto a building and pisses off the rooftop, and that's how it ends. <laughs> it's just yeah, it's bizarre, but I, I love it. It's one of yeah. the one of the first experimental films I actually saw, and yeah, that was one of the things that got me into it. I, I love the Doors; they're my favorite band. Oh, really? That's cool. Yeah, mm -hmm. I used to really love the Doors, and like I said, I saw that film, and it, and it you know it doesn't surprise me that he was an experimental filmmaker because he was really an intelligent guy. I mean, probably genius, you know, mm -hmm. a few times over. Uh -huh. Oh, but, yeah, he's um, very well read, but everyone always, because he became a, an alcoholic, everyone kind of wrote him off. But, oh, yeah, he introduced so much, so many new concepts in, into pop music, like the Oedipus complex, I mean, you know. You're listening to the Experimental Film Podcast with Ken Hess. And now, back to the show. Yeah, well, you know, I think a lot of, and I hate to say this because I don't want to start anybody on alcohol or drugs, but I think a lot of times people who are very, very intelligent have to drink or do drugs to bring themselves down to kind of a normal level because they just think on a different plane. And I think maybe Jim Morrison was like that. I mean, his lyrics, you know, are very ethereal at times and, um, you know, he's a super intelligent guy, and I'm I'm not surprised that he, you know, became an alcoholic or, you know, got on drugs or whatever, because he, you know, I think he just was kind of beyond normal humanity, so. Yeah, and very self-destructive. A lot of artists are self-destructive, aren't they? We can't help ourselves. Uh, we just like to push boundaries, and it just, you know, I mean, we can't control ourselves, and uh these things become habits, unfortunately. But uh, I don't know. You do get moments of sheer bliss that you can never explain, and it's great trying to make that into either cinema or music. Kind of, you know, it's the shortcut to instead of taking drugs, you know, you can listen to music or watch movies and get the same feeling. And uh, it's it's poetry, isn't it? It's like cinema poetry. Yeah, you know, I've described films as the dreams 
that I want you to see. Yeah. You know, they're my yeah. dreams, and I want you to be able to see those. That's kind of the thing, you know, when I make a film, especially a, a narrative film, not necessarily an experimental film, but sometimes both. But I see the whole thing play out in my head. I don't know if other filmmakers are that way or not. I've never really asked, but um, I see the whole thing. I mean, I see the characters speaking to each other, and I see the whole dynamic happen kind of like I'm watching the film myself, and then I just have to write it down and film it. Sometimes it takes a different swing during filmmaking, and sometimes it's, it's you know, fairly true. Does that happen to you as well? Yeah, you're quite lucky if you've had a whole film like that. I've had scenes where I've, you know, I've literally, there's certain scenes in my movies where they've literally come from dreams, and I've literally just woken up, wrote it, wrote it down, you know, get the concept down before I forget it, and then you just go on, on you know, make it happen basically and make it a reality but no ne- never a complete movie um i think the the only film where i, I knew straight away what exactly was going to do was the teddy bears live forever and that was that was like a really simple film that i made i just said that because most of my films had loads of cast members in it this one i just had one one girl in the whole cast and she had multiple personality disorders so in a way it was was kind of working like working with more than one person but and she actually really had this as well and every single day you didn't know who you were gonna film which was really strange because it was the same person but it'd be a different person every day it's 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 tough to work in that uh, situation but yeah that was the only time i kind of knew exactly where the film was going to go every other every other film is just you know you'd think you'd want to end it there and then you get another idea and you want to keep make it keep going and i don't know I find it hot, hard to stop sometimes. Uh, like, you know, when's when's going to be the ending of film? <laughs> I could easily make a sixteen-hour film if I wanted to. So it's easy for me to kind of like, you know, make two-hour films. You know, things like that. That's why yeah. I find short. Yeah, that's why I find short films a bit too restrictive for me. But I've made a couple of short films. You know, uh, so that was it. Blink Chop Chop Socky. You know, that that's quite a short film that I I enjoyed making. Yeah, yeah. In fact, you know. Um... Andy Warhol made an eight hour long film called Empire and all he did was film and I don't know how he did it because you know, you only get about three minutes worth of film when you film with a sixteen millimeter camera or an eight millimeter. So he filmed the Empire State Building for eight hours. You know, it it was daytime, it got dark, and it was it's just slightly out of focus. I guess he filmed it from his apartment or something, but that's all it is for eight hours is the Empire State Building going through different times of the day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, what do you mean by commit cinema suicide? Uh, well, that was more for like Jet Hollywood. Uh, it's like I just wanted to see how far you could take a concept, I guess. Uh, I mean, I've never really wanted to commit suicide, but I'd, I'd, if, if there was something I'd die for, it would be cinema. You know, it's it's strange. Sometimes when I'm making movies, uh, I feel almost invincible. So you end up taking, uh, you know, you do things that you wouldn't really do if there wasn't a camera there. You know, like walk on buildings and, you know, just little things like that. Um, yeah, I, I guess that's the best way to explain it, is just taking it to the limit. Um, some, I guess Werner Herzog was a bit like that when he, he made his movies. You know, I think right. he put the whole, whole cast in danger sometimes especially like Fitzgerald and things like that you know yeah have you what's the craziest thing you've ever done while making a movie oh gosh um 
I can't think of anything terribly crazy. I think maybe I got mad at a security guard. <laughs> I told him, you know, I I think I told him basically to, as, as you would say in England, bugger off. <laughs> so I told him to basically get lost because I was... I was doing a, a, a drone pass through this. Um, it was downtown uh, in the town I used to live in. I was doing a drone pass through this. Um, I don't know what you would call it. It's almost like an alcove of, of trees. And it came out on the other, the drone came out on the other end. Of course, I'm sitting there watching it on my cell phone, you know, and controlling it. And I buzz it through, but it passes really close to a bunch of people. And they're just watching it. And then he comes walking down the way and I'm, I'm bringing my drone back to myself, you know, and then I land it in front of me and I pick it up and I put it in my backpack and I see him walking the whole way. I, I don't know if he knows that I can see him or what, but I could see him walking toward me. He goes, you know, you can't use that drone here. I go, oh, well, I wish you had told me before I did it. <laughs> so, you know, basically, basically I, you know, I had a few other choice things to say. I mean, what's he going to do, right? Yeah, exactly. I hate people like that. <laughs> I, I really, yeah. I, so, so, I mean, you know, I know the world's gone through a lot of changes recently, but I don't think the world's come out better, you know. In some ways it is because it's gotten more tolerant, but in other ways it's like everyone's got an opinion. And it's yeah. just too much noise sometimes, don't you think? And too many... Yeah. Too much red tape, and I, I literally wish people would just bugger off sometimes. But the thing is, when you're making a film, everybody gets super uptight, don't they? And like, what are you going to do with it? It's like, well, what's the, what's the difference? Yeah, everything's online <laughs> every, anyway now, isn't it? You know, no one's got any, uh, you know, there's no, where's the line? You know, everybody makes movies of themselves. Everyone, they put photos on Facebook. So there's no privacy anyway. So as long as you're not doing anything bad in front of the camera what does it matter if someone's taking a photo or filming you I, I really don't i can't comprehend that that type of thought so and sometimes i'll be filming you know they won't be the main focus of in the scene but they'll turn around and they'll be like far off in the background as well it's like what what do you think is going to happen you, you're in the background of a scene no one's actually watching i think people have just got too big of egos these days yeah. and they actually think it's going to affect them somehow if their photo or their image appears online it, it's a very strange world these days. You either get people who really seek it out or the people who turn away from it, but they're hypocritical because yeah. they make videos of themselves and post it on Facebook. So I don't know. I mean, well, I'm sure you, you've got a great opinion and stuff like that as well. But. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. I don't know what it's like there, but here it's if you are in a public place, you don't have any expectation of privacy. So you can't, you know, if someone says, hey, don't take my picture, it's like, well, then don't be here because I'm turning back. Yeah, I'm taking pictures or I'm filming. If you don't want to be in it, then, you know, don't be in it. But you can't tell me not to film you because you're you have no expectation of privacy. And I've had this argument with a couple of people uh, and, um, you know, it's it's usually gone OK because I'm not I'm not rude with them. But I, I just tell them, look, I'm sorry. Um, you know, they're, you're in public. You have no expectation of privacy. Uh, I'm not going to delete it. And, you know, seriously, the way I film with a shallow depth of field, you're, you're going to be blurry. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. 
But how arrogant are they? Like, the, the, nobody knows who they are. It's not like they're a celebrity or anything like that. And it's like, you're not even famous. It's like, you're not the Pope or something like that. <laughs> nobody, nobody cares. Like, nobody will be able to find you because they don't know your name. Yeah, so they can't exactly. Google you. They can't, yeah, exactly. So, I don't know, it's like a weird arrogance that they got that, you know, people are actually going to, like, give a shit who they are in the background. Yeah, it's just, it's exhausting, isn't it, almost? That's, yeah. like, the worst part of making films sometimes is just dealing with the general public if you actually make films the way we do. Yeah. You know what? That sounds like a great idea for a film. I'd like to see you film that. <laughs> you actually, you know, whether it's staged or not, you have people really get mad at you about uh, <laughs> filming them. That would be really fun to make a whole kind of a, a documentary of arrogance. Is oh, I'd relish that. Yeah. That I'd would, relish that so much, actually. That would be good. Uh, yeah, yeah. So there's your um, next film. <laughs> my friend Paul would enjoy that as well, as well, because he, he he likes pissing people off and he likes getting reactions out of people. He likes shaking people up. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I do the same thing. Idea. I do mm-hmm. the same exact thing. Not necessarily on film, but just kind of in general. <laughs> yeah, it's just, just I, I get off on reactions. I don't know if that's because it, we're filmmakers. We just like seeing human nature and how people would react in certain situations. Yeah, that, I'm mm. telling you, that would make a good film or actually good even a series of films. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a better idea than why I, <laughs> I was uh, spitballing with a load of people the other day. And uh, I think the best idea we came with is like, let's recreate the Zapruder film. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Yeah, that would be fun, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, my God. Can you imagine? <laughs> maybe, in, maybe in miniature or with animals, even. That would be kind of fun, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I don't know if you've ever seen a movie, Crash. Remember that? The Jay Ballard um, book that they made into a movie where all these people recreate famous crashes, like the when James Dean crashed. And oh, yeah, yeah. James Mansfield, you know, that type of... Um, that type of vibe but yeah we were talking about the zapruder film and how it's probably the, the purest film so i mean in a way it's kind of a snuff film as well isn't it <laughs> it's, it's, it's a snuff it's like the most mainstream snuff film and it's on youtube and and it's this guy getting his head blown off and god knows what the family but it's almost like as pure cinema as you can imagine you know and it wasn't staged either you know it's just complete I don't know, uh, chance that's what i like in in films when chance things happen right. you know non-scripted it's, it's just magic to me but can you imagine being one of his children and seeing your dad get killed every year again and people are commenting on it and you know news programs because every year around november 23rd they show that yeah. Zapruder film and there's another film that's actually available that is shot from the other side. I mean, can you imagine seeing your father murdered over and over again? That's really, uh, that's, that's quite devastating. I think it would really tend to work on your, your head either that, or you just have to hide away from it and it wouldn't it's, be able to, you know, visualize it. Yeah. I, I, I think you just become so numb if you're that, I mean, the Kennedys are as famous as you can imagine, really, if a dynasty. Yeah. So they must be so numb inside to us. And they're literally one of the most cursed families in <laughs> in history. I mean, God, I've never heard of a family. Other than the royal family, the royal family are certainly cursed as well. They've had yeah. so much, so many scandalous things happen this year. You know, yeah. it's just, yeah, I, I, it just shows you what, you know, money means fuck all when it comes to karma. 
That's true. It's very true. Mm-hmm. So who is your favorite filmmaker? If you had to say this person is my favorite filmmaker, who is it? Oh, uh, difficult. I go through phases, honestly, Ken. I, uh, the, the, the guy who like, made me fall in love with movies like to the point where I wanted to make him was Dennis Hopper. You know, the last movie just really, it blew my mind. I'd never seen a film like this before. And the fact there was a major motion picture, it's so experimental. And, you know, it's every time I watch it, you know, I I pick up something new. So you could say Dennis Hopper, um, Donald Camel. I love Donald Camel as well. Uh, Performance and Wild Side. um, Well, you know, Dennis Hopper used to hang out with a lot of those avant-garde filmmakers in New York, mm. uh, Bruce Connor and um, some of those other guys. He was in, I think he was in a Warhol film or two, but he always hung out with those guys down in the, um, all the Ludlow and um, uh, Skid Row areas. I can't remember the the Bowery. Yeah, the Bowery and, you know, all those areas in New York where um, all the art people hung out, you know. Yeah, he comes from that, but he's been in, um, yeah, he's done like the headshots, the Andy Warhol headshots, where you just literally film you close up on the face. He's, he's a photographer. I mean, Easy Rider, Easy Rider is technically an experimental film. Oh, There's yeah. loads of trippy things happening in that movie yeah. that nobody had seen before, yeah. Um, I like um, Vincent Gallo as well. I don't know if you've seen The Brown Bunny. No. Uh, or Buffalo 66. Have you seen that? No. Oh, uh, that's that. a great. He's a great artist. He got his career got completely ruined when he made Brown Bunny. You know, he showed it at Cannes and he got booed. And ever since then, his career has never been the same. But Brown Bunny is terrific. Uh, yeah, by Vincent Gallo, um, Lucas Moodyson. I love um, a hole in uh, in my heart. Uh, that's just like like watching witchcraft on 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 screen. You know, mm. it's like a bunch of friends who decide to make a, a porno. <laughs> and uh, it just goes wrong, and uh, you know it's it's a great movie. It's dark, but it's also got like moments of bliss in it as well. It's it's all over the place. He's a great filmmaker. He's done loads of cool things. Uh, Lilia Forever, he he did that as well. Um, God, uh, I think shit. Uh, Harmony Kareen, I love his early films. I don't really care about what he's been doing since, uh, but. Gummo and Julian Julian Don, Donkey Boy is my favorite film of uh, Harmony Kareen. Um, I think Sylvester Stallone even loves that movie, which I was surprised about. I didn't know Sylvester Stallone watched experimental films. Well, you never know, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've got so many, yeah, so many films that I. I'll tell you what, the, a film I watched recently that was really cool. Uh, very rare film. I think it was Brazilian. It's called um, Killed the Family and Went to the Movies. And I think it came out in 1969. Hmm. Um, can't remember the name of the filmmaker. Julio something. Killed the Family, Went to the Movies. And that's literally what the film is. He kills his family and then he goes to the movies. Yeah, I always, I always love films like that where the title literally tells you what the whole film is about. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Um, oh, um, Parade of Roses. You ever seen that? I just saw that the other day. Yes. Mm. Um fantastic isn't it it's about the the transsexual or transgender people in japan right yeah yeah and that, that inspired um stanley kubrick's uh, clockwork orange yeah yeah he literally ripped off certain scenes from that movie and 
transpose them into Clockwork Orange. But it's a great black and white film, and it's got, I don't know, it kind of brings you a smile. It's a kind of a dark film, but at the same time, you, you find yourself like smiling at certain scenes. They're, they're cheeky. Yeah, yeah, that I mm. just recently saw that. Yeah, I've been discovering more and more experimental films because I've I've got a uh, subscription to the Criterion channel and yeah, I watch that. all the time. I mean, mm. like almost every day I watch something new on there. Agnes Varda is one of my favorites. Um yeah. Of course a lot of people love Kurosawa. There's a bunch of Kurosawa films on there. Um gosh, I don't love know. Kurosawa. There's some great uh, animation films, but I really got into Jacques Tati uh, last oh, yeah. year. You know, mm. Mon, Mon Uncle. <laughs> I've not seen that one. I've seen Parade. Um, seen that one? Yeah, I think. One of his later films, I think. I think I've seen that one. Uh, gosh, I've seen so many now, I've, I tend to forget the titles. But, you know, once I go back into the Criterion channel and, and start looking around, I'm, oh, I've seen that, I've seen that. I'm kind of running out now, but. Um, yeah, I liked, uh, of course, Jean-Luc Godard, um, you know, Jacques Tati, and, and I, I really love that French New Wave, that kind of randomness, you know, like we were talking uh, about originally. So Yeah, Clara from 9 to 5, that's that's fantastic. Um, yeah, there's too many movies. I wish I wish we'd live longer, but there's too many good movies to watch in a whole lifetime, really, isn't there? Yeah. There's always a new one that you can... Uh, I saw Drive... Have you heard of Drive, he said? Uh, Jack Nicholson directed it, and I didn't even know Jack Nicholson directed any movies, but oh, it's a terrific, terrific film. That came out in like 1970, and that's... It's not something you think Jack Nicholson would make a movie like this, but it's just really experimental. It's avant-garde the story is very mainstream but the way it's filmed is just so clever you know like there's one guy oh it's it's i think it might be on youtube but you'll you'll definitely find it for free online uh he's got really great ideas the shots and all that type of thing i I think he made it while he was doing carnal knowledge so he's very young still when he when he did it but um god yeah there's man ray i love man ray and the port morris films and yeah yeah man ray made a lot of great art and films as well. A lot of people don't know that he was a filmmaker, but he definitely was. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about those early experimental films, even like, uh, Vertov, like man with a movie camera, you know, it's just like, it's like they're discovering a new language. Yeah. And as I said, there was no, imagine discovering a whole new art form and it's like, you're just playing with it. You can do anything you wanted. And, you know, they did so many, even like Vertov, I don't think he gets enough credit as, I don't know if he even made any more movies after that film. Uh, do, you know, no idea. Yeah, I'm not sure myself. So, can you tell us uh, what are you working on now? Um, well, trying to put this confessions of Alistair Crowley together, but as I said, we've obviously been cursed by Alistair Crowley, and uh, it's been two years, and we still not managed to film it. Uh, honestly, I think he's he's literally put a curse on us for doing this, and. Uh, but I will finish it at some point. We don't know when, but uh, we'll get it together, and that'll be the next film. Uh, but uh, yeah, so the last the last film I made was um, uh, who is uh, Blink Chops Hockey, uh, who was a, a man who literally walked around with a, a movie camera on his head, a big paper mache movie camera, right. and just goes on, ad- just goes on <laughs> adventures. Yeah, Blink Chops Hockey. I love that. Yeah. I would like to see, in fact, the adventures of Blink. Uh, Chopsaki would be really 
uh, or blimp, I'm sorry, blimp chop sake. That would be really interesting to see the uh, continuing adventures of, you know, having, you know, go into the middle of the city and, you know, trying to interact with people. I, I think that would be really clever to, to see yeah. that. I think you might even get picked up by Netflix or something to um, actually have a series on this. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm actually trying to get um, one of my films on Netflix at the moment. Uh, I've been picked up by New Line Cinema, uh, New Line Video, who are a distribution oh, wow. company. So yeah, they're they're working on getting it. Teddy Bears Live Forever onto um, onto Netflix, which would be great. You I know, love that, that one. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Oh yeah, bring a bit of exp- there's not much experimental cinema on Netflix, really, is there? So no. you know, we're going to invade Netflix and That's uh, good. We it, need to. Mm, yeah yeah we're gonna suck it to him yeah so that's that's the thing that i'm concentrating on at the moment and uh i'm um i play guitar so i'm in, in a band called paranoid alice and uh this other band called mal and mal, mal is more experimental but uh paranoid alice we've just released an album and uh it's all like reverse sounds it sounds a bit like the birds that song eight miles high so oh, yeah. it's got that yeah it's kind of got that feel to it so yeah this year it's a very musical year so i'm, I'm basically working on sounds but uh you know you, you never know what's going to happen next uh, another movie might get made it might not who knows <laughs> true i mean just just uh kind of go with the flow i guess so do you have a website or other ways for the audience to check out your work yeah, uh, websites Fabrizio Federico. Google it or cut them up first or second or something like that. And yeah, the movies are all for free on YouTube. As I said, I I, lo- I love just putting the films out there and letting people see them and seeing where they take them. I, d- I don't want to. I don't want to charge people. Right. I want it to be. I want the films to be pure, and I, I want people to actually enjoy them. I don't want them hidden. Like, for example, you, when people. There's so many films out there, but they're private, so you need a password to get into and actually watch the goddamn film. Right. I don't get filmmakers who don't want their films to be shown. I, I don't. I really do not get that. So they'll keep them private, so people won't actually be able to watch them. It blows my mind. So yeah, they're out there, and you can watch them for free, and just be inspired and go out there and just create another generation gap. Now, nah, I mean. I've had my time. I've, I've done it. And now I want another generation to take cinema even further. Yeah, that's that's kind of the way I'm working things now too. Is I'm I'm trying to actually get um, people involved and and get them interested, especially younger people, trying to get them yeah. into it. In fact, you can view oh, five or six of my films on Vimeo. So you know if you're if you're into Vimeo, uh, check out some of mine i have uh, landscape up there i have um i love country music i have dirt up there which dirt is my latest film i love that one it's um less than five minutes long and it's uh it's really cool my my oldest son loves loves it he uh he said hey you remind me of uh someone who i would get your name mixed up with federico fellini (laughs) yeah he goes, oh, it's very Fellini-esque. I go, really? I, I didn't get that. But yeah, I mean, I, I'll take it for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, right there. Yeah. Um, are you involved in any local film groups or meetups or other film-related activities where you work with other people? Uh, not at the moment. Uh, I do a lot of things. So there's a group, a Facebook group online called Experimental Film Society. And a lot. I just 
encourage people to share movies on there, experimental films. And I'll, you know, I just, I like giving people a platform like yourself, just give them a platform, especially new filmmakers, you know, get their work out there, you know, just show the world. I really enjoy that type of thing. Uh, I've kind of took a back seat to tell. I've got, a, I've kind of, I don't know. I, I think, I don't know if it's the COVID thing, but I've, I've not really been as sociable as I, I usually am. Uh, I'm a bit busy being a father at the moment as well. So I've, I've got a new baby. So oh, wow. yes. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah, he's only six months old. So I've been busy being a father. So I've, I've not been the social butterfly that I usually am. So I've, uh, yeah, what, what's the word? I've uh, become a bit of a recluse. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. yeah. Well, very yeah, Alistair Crowley of you. Yeah, I'm uh, <laughs> going through a very, this is my recluse stage. I've, you know, see how long it lasts. Well, Ages uh, never last too long, do they? Uh, well, I'll tell you what happened is when you start a family, same thing happened to me. You know, I... Oh gosh, I made a short film in 2006 or 7 and then kind of put it down for several years and then picked it back up. I mean, but you you get so tied up with your kids, you know, their full-time work and, you know, you if you work and then your kids and, you know, taking care of everything for them, you know, once they start school, you have a little bit more time, but, you know, it's it's just crazy how you know, how much of a time vacuum, I guess they are. I mean, it's worth it. I'm not saying it's not, but I mean, yeah. it's really, it consumes your entire life. And, you know, there was a, a gap of, I don't know, maybe 10 or more years there where I didn't do anything. I wrote ideas, I wrote scripts and things in my spare time, but, you know, just getting out there and doing it because filmmaking, I don't think a lot of people understand while it's, relatively easy an easy thing to do it takes a lot of effort to get there yeah. you know so it's a lot of energy doesn't it yeah it does it does take a lot of energy but anyway um i'm sorry is there something else yeah i was gonna say i might write a book next <laughs> oh yeah I think, that's my, yeah I think that's my i've not got an idea what to write about yet but um yeah i might write a book next that would be my i've never done that so well i've yeah, got a topic for you book. You've actually, in this interview, you have created your own topic, uh, guerrilla filmmaking. Uh, you know, the, in fact, you could even riff on Reginald Perrin. You could do um, the fall and rise of guerrilla filmmaking. Yeah, yeah. How about take that? All those experiment oh, definitely. <laughs> and take all those experimental film concepts, but add it to like the uh, literature. So kind of like use cut up technique, but with, uh, you know, kind of like do like a William Burroughs thing, but take it one step further, you know, use loads of jump courts and I don't know, tape loops, but add it to like novels, you know, create like a whole new concept for the novel. Maybe do something like that. Yeah. That's a good idea. Well, yeah. I really appreciate you coming on and um, I'm, I'm super glad I met you. I think I might've met you through the experimental film society on Facebook. I can't recall. Yeah. But, um, yeah Anyway, I'm I'm really happy that we connected, and uh, you know, your next project, I'd love to have you back on. Yeah, absolutely. You're very punk rock, so uh, yeah, you're definitely a friend of mine now. Yeah, yeah, that is the truth. I I love. Uh, in fact, your film Anarchy in the in the UK is actually a a film by I mean a, a song by the Sex Pistols. So it's like I could just hear it in the in my head the whole time. <laughs> yeah. So. Anyway, well, 
Thank you very much, and thank you for joining us for this first episode of Season 3 of the Experimental Film Podcast. Our guest today was experimental filmmaker Fabrizio Federico. Please contact me if you'd like to schedule an interview, sponsor the podcast, point me to some cool experimental films, or connect me to other experimental filmmakers. And we'll see you next time. If you would like to sponsor a podcast or schedule an interview, send an email to ken at experimentalfilm.info. Thanks for listening to the Experimental Film Podcast with Ken Hess. Thank you.